Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio. It is Monday, December 14th, 2020, and we are in extra, 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 extra innings counting down to see what will become of the original legislation called the Roe Act. Joining me today are... I'm Laura. Martha from Boston Red Cloaks. Uh, Karen from Boston Red Cloaks. Linda from Indivisible Acton. Judy Eskin from um, Andover Indivisible. Terrific. I'm so glad that we can all be here together today day to commiserate and organize. Um, we are looking at what's happened since last week. We put our collaborative piece out on Medium. And in that, we asked, where does Governor Baker stand on reproductive justice? And we certainly got our answer, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yes. The, wrong the one we wanted. Yeah, he <laughs> Not what we wanted. Cast. He failed. Yeah. But so he's revealed himself. He sent out his letter, which includes his amendments to what was formerly Section 40 of the budget. And that is the part that dealt with what was originally the Roe Act and became an amendment that went to him. And it was doing some really important things in terms of updating archaic definitions that did not include all pregnant people. It was also taking care of people who are pregnant and find out after week 24 that they have a fatal fetal diagnosis or life incompatible outside the womb. And it was also for teens so that 16 and 17 year olds who can legally have sex without a parent's permission because the age of consent for sex in Massachusetts is age 16. It was allowing 16 and 17 year olds to go ahead and access abortion care if they needed it without getting a parent's permission. And Baker, Baker's answer back was that he's not okay with that. He cannot accept changing the consent for teens. So we'll be talking about that. And he also added in penalties for doctors who do not comply with his version of the law. So let's unpack that a little bit. One thing I want to point out with regard to the 16 and 17 year olds is I think a lot of people are not aware that there is already Um, in Massachusetts law, a statement that authorizes 16 and 17 year olds to make every other decision about their health care and pregnancy, except for a decision about abortion. So this is not some, this is not some radical new thing that these, these young people are not able to do. Interesting, because sometimes you hear people saying like, well, it'd be terrible. I wouldn't want a, a youth to go to a doctor without having me as the parent know. But in fact, teens can go ahead and have surgery. They can get birth control. They can act on all of those things without their parent knowing right now. Right. I was struck by the conditions that he put around um, 24 weeks, the 24 week ban because it seemed to me rather than expanding anything that he was actually trying to tighten it up so that as we've approached that that ban, we've thought about the well-being of the pregnant person and the fatality of the uh, fetus. And we have also thought that a woman can be rational, a person can be rational about that decision. Now he's making it seem as if the person has to be unstable, um, has to be a little crazy, uh, absolutely distraught, as if they're not distraught to begin with. But uh, I, I find that condescending and I find it person hating. That's really helpful perspective because it does kind of play into these historic ideas about women and hysteria. And Mm -hmm. so instead of saying 
look if if it's in the best medical judgment that the patient needs an abortion period it's kind of asking people to prove a test around their mental health yes and it does seem undermining we don't ask any men before they have surgery to make sure their mental health is okay like before you have a vasectomy mm-hmm. only if it's only if you're in sound mind otherwise you shouldn't do it it's <laughs> it, right it's there is something very belittling about that and there seems also to me to be a refusal to understand that uh, with uh, teenagers under the age of 16, if that person who impregnated them is 16 or over, then that's considered statutory rape. And therefore, it's almost as if those need more, those folks need, those kids need more protection even than the 16-year-olds. Uh, I think he's trying to compromise in in the wrong direction. And he's basically leaving those people to fend for themselves uh, from in, in the environment in which they live. And he forgets that we're talking about the most marginalized people in the Commonwealth. Laura, you've talked about this before because you've spent a lot of time working with teens that these are tough conversations. A lot of people don't have them, but 70% or more of families do have these conversations. Many pregnant teens go to their parents, they go to their guardian, but we're looking at situations where someone can't because the parent is not available or sometimes they're victims of incest. I mean, there's a wide range. And I think Senator Becca Rausch has really put it very pointedly and clearly that no one who's raped should ever have to go to their rapist for permission to have an abortion. Uh, I think about it all like the kids that are in foster care are the ones that that suffer the most because they don't have the choice of even going to supportive or unsupport, unsupportive um, guardians. You know, they have to go right. To, they have to go through um, judicial bypass. And and I also think about emancipated minors, right? So if you're pregnant, you you can you can go through your pregnancy and be 16 and not involve your guardian at all. So that that's also kind of strange that this is this is care that is cut out of that and says, no, you can get every other care. You can have a baby. You can you know, take care of the baby and, and not involve your guardian at all. But if you choose an abortion, you have to. So this puts people. Mm -hmm. I agree. And if I can just follow up on something that Karen said about statutory rape being a crime, what's so ironic here is that in that situation, the person who became pregnant as a result of statutory rape is the one being treated as a criminal by being forced to go to court. Whereas, because that person isn't committing any crime, they're just trying to get healthcare. They're a young person in an existential crisis. There's no crime there. What they need is counseling and medical care, neither of which can be provided by a judge. And we're here in a society that has clear systemic racism as well as clear systemic sexism and misogyny. So when you're sending someone who's a teen to the court system, it's the same thing we're looking at with the police reform legislation. You're sending them into a system that is already stacked against them. So why are you treating them like a criminal in the first place when what they need is healthcare? You're sending them to a judge who doesn't know them. 
So all the people who are making these paternalistic arguments like, oh, I'd be really scared to have them make this decision by themselves. The judge is not going to be father knows best and suddenly bond with and become a mentor to the teen. It's, it's, a, it's a proceeding. They're not going to get to know you. And Martha, I think you always, I don't know, Martha, if you want to say it again. But the kids need to be able to be mature to be parents, not mature enough to have an abortion. They, right, right. like I always said, a baby, a kid, a child, they don't have a snooze button. You have to keep on taking care of the child, their needs. And as time goes by, it's get, it gets more difficult. It's not only feeding, pampers, it's childcare, it's uh, special education, it's everything. It's socializing. It's not a toy. It's not a dog. You cannot tell them and or put them in a cage. So yes, I and I am really angry at this wishy-washy governor we have. And these fines that he's introducing here again speak to people being punished. So the idea that you would punish people by making them stay pregnant—that is forced pregnancy. The idea that we're talking about a culture where you force someone to stay pregnant—it's how can we be in a place where you're saying anybody has to be forced, their body must be forced? It's what like is an, that? It's another form of rape. <laughs> and, and, and as Martha was saying, you know, they're supposed to prove that they're mature enough to make this single decision. But as a parent, you are making decisions 24-7. Right. You know, as simple as how many cookies are too many to, you know, what school should I, what preschool should I send this child to? Right. And this so. is also happening when the average 16 year old is trying to get their homework done. Right. They're, I mean, our society, big picture, still treats these 16 year olds like, sure, they can drive. And that means they're in charge of our life and death on the highway because they're driving that vehicle at high speeds. But we still expect them to go to school five days a week full time. So who's watching their baby when they're taking chemistry class? Well, and especially when they're cutting all the other services like um, childcare in schools and social services and other things that that are available to or should be available to to help these people they're not available anymore right and this is also happening during covid when right. people can they can't make their rent they don't have health care they've lost their jobs a lot of people have family members who are moving in with them or there's more couch surfing we've got people who are trapped at home with abusive people so it's like, it seems like the strangest time for him to send it back this way. I don't see any compassion from him. And he didn't even make, he didn't have the courtesy to give like a press conference about this. He just said, I cannot support lowering the age of consent. And he's ignoring the fact that again, you can legally have sex at 16 without asking your parents. I'd love to know a single teenager who goes to their parent and asks permission to have sex. <laughs> Well, I think Baker is doing what he does a lot, which is he's trying to walk the line of being a so-called moderate Republican. So he has to say enough or do enough to prove to the conservative Republicans that he's like them, being conservative. And at the same time, he wants to claim that he's a moderate Republican who, you know, who is pro-choice. Um, he's really looking out for his own political interests. Um, as opposed to thinking about the well-being of, of the people in this situation. Yes, that's right. <clears throat> that really made me angry. I mean, there are so many parts that made me angry, but 
by refusing to lower the age or I would prefer to just get rid of the, the whole parental consent judicial bypass because it's an unnecessary burden. And in the whole time that this law has been in effect, there's been less than a handful of judges who have refused permission. Yeah. So it's yeah. a useless barrier that makes these young people go through an, another traumatic experience where they're, where they're already probably in a very stressful situation to begin with. And then to not lower it to, and then the whole thing, if you're 14 and you're pregnant, how do you know what to do? You don't. Mm -hmm. And it just makes, it, it's got the whole thing backwards. And he's not pro-choice in my, in my book. No, no, no. And you're right. He's listening to a minority. And I'm just going to throw up there. This is, um, you know, the Mass Citizens for Life uh, had a little event last weekend where they put roses out for all the dead babies, their language, not mine, and all the women and mothers who've, you know, lost, had this great loss. And they are so missing what it is like for real people who are pregnant who decide to end their pregnancy. Mm -hmm. This is this is a fiction here. It's like as as off from real life as Margaret Atwood's book, only <laughs> Margaret Atwood's book is much more like real life right now because you're talking mm -hmm. about treating women and people with a uterus who can become pregnant like vessels. Mm -hmm. Factories. I think right? is so out of touch with what, what this is like. He's not a woman. He's affluent. He's white. He has no idea mm -hmm. what a woman, a teen of color has to be faced with. It just makes me so angry that he's making these decisions for some that will influence so many people's lives. And we know the reality is they're gonna have abortions anyway. Right, yeah. right. It's again, yeah. another fiction of turning it back. Like if we make it the law, then suddenly all these teens will have the important conversation with their parent. It's just, that's not how it works out. Mm -hmm. So what can we do? Because we are near the end of the year and we know that there are some outer constraints. The procedure goes like this. Um, Governor Baker has taken this piece of the budget and sent it back with what are called his amendments. And now our representatives and senators need to make a decision by a majority vote. They can vote to reject his amendments and send back to him their original language. Once they do that, if they do that quickly, he will have 10 days and what they send over will now be a standalone act. It won't have a number, it'll have its own name. Perhaps it will be called the Roe Act again. We don't know what it will be called. But if they send that back over, then Baker can either say, okay, I've heard enough from people, I'm gonna accept it this time, or he can veto it. And if he sends it back, they will have to override that with a two thirds vote. So what are you guys all doing this week to make sure your voice is heard? Jesse, can I ask you one question first? Sure. So is, is there a deadline that, you know, if this isn't accomplished by a certain point that nothing happens and it has to start from scratch? Early January. Um, yeah. Early January. I think it's January 6th, but early in January, that is the end of the session. So okay. if the clock runs out, my understanding is if we don't have closure on this and the clock runs out, the clock runs out. So we cannot let that happen. We cannot do 24 months again like this. And, and the stakes are so high with the Supreme Court the way it is. Mm -hmm. There's a ever growing threat that Roe v. Wade is gonna be overturned. And so we have to act. So you need to call 
or email your state legislator. If you know that they have been supportive, please thank them. And even if you're not sure how you can ask them how how they voted or how they plan to vote and ask them to reject Baker's amendment. And you can email them. You can call them. If you want to use email, all you have to do is go to Google and put in find my Massachusetts senator, find my Massachusetts representative. And there's a website that the state has. It is accurate. And you just type in your address. So even if you've never called them before, you can get a phone number. Usually it won't get answered by a real person. Usually you're going to get an answering machine, especially during COVID. When you go there, you can also get an email address. So we did this last time. I just thought I'd ask if someone can volunteer. What's, what's something you would say in an email or a phone message? Also, I want to just mention the coalition has a site where if you go to it, there's an entire script there. So that's even, you know, that's even easier. We'll put that, that link up. I would say, hi, my name is Laura. I'm a constituent. And I want to thank you for your support, um, but I also want you to be vigilant and reject what, what Baker has said. Go back and, and make your voice heard. It's important. It's important to all of us, and we're all counting on you. Nice. Really nice. It can be very simple like that. Karen, what's the kind of thing you would say in an email? Uh, to a legislator or to Baker? <laughs> How about legislator? Let's <laughs> do Baker next. bombs. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I would say I'm Karen Rose. I'm calling you with regard to uh, uh, Governor Baker's uh, return of the um, Section 40 with his changes. His changes are inappropriate for the well-being of the people and the will of the people in Massachusetts. The um, I thank you very much for your previous support, or if they haven't, I urge you to reconsider. I urge you to act now. I urge you to speak to other legislators. People's lives depend on it. For me, I would probably say something like, if, if I didn't know where my legislator stood, I might say, hi, you know, I'm Jesse. I have never contacted you before, but this issue is really important to me. We've come after 24 months to a point where you as a legislator have heard lots of input from different people and you got it right in what you sent over to the governor and he's got it wrong. Please reject his amendments and please go back to the original language that you sent over. I would say it's critical that we support teens. They're legally allowed to have sex and we have to legally give them access to the health care they need. So we need people to, to really get on this and do this this week, because the sooner they send it back to him, the more time for him to respond. Um, the other thing is we were sort of joking there, but you also, if you have, if you have time to make two phone calls, feel free to call Governor Baker and let him know you're not happy with him. I think you're right. I was going to tell you, I'm going to call Governor Baker again and tell him, hi, my name is Martha. Remember me? I called you a wishy-washy last time. Well, you're worse than a wishy-washy. You are worse than the van that it's on the White House. You are not only, only catering for your base, you are a double face because you facing in the past and now that you are thinking about your next step in government, you are being so politically or trying to be politically correct that you are endangering the lives of people like me, brown and color, uh, people of color, which are the ones that need this uh, legislature the most. So 
thank you, but vote for you. I voted for Jay Gonzalez, so I think you should send that picture of yourself somehow when you when you send an email, because so he could see the sweet sweet face behind the voice and the words. Part of the, I feel like that's the thing that has to come through for people is like, we're really angry. It's like the women in Poland, they're angry. This mm -hmm. is what it looks like when you say to constituents, you don't matter. And even though the legislature heard, I mean, he's ignoring the legislators. They listened for 24 months to this process. Mm -hmm. They've heard the negative views. They've heard the positive views. They've heard from teens and doctors and nurses, and they've heard from lawyers. They've heard from everybody, social workers and and then he's just ignoring it. He gets to come in at the end. He didn't have to sit through that all day hearing. Yeah, right. he knows a lot less than any of the legislators about this bill. He didn't even know that you didn't need both parents' permission. You only need one parent's permission. He mistakenly thought that you needed two parents' permission. So it's really, it really makes me so angry that he hardly has studied this issue or thought about it and just made a blanket hmm. uh, you know, decision that, you know, the parental consent um, should, should still remain. And he doesn't really know or care about, you know, the people that he is supposedly making laws about. And they don't so have a name to him, you know, they don't have a name and a face. And, and, and I think that if he spoke to one family, to one person who had been whose pregnancy had been diagnosed as fatal, if he listened to one person, he would have to, he would have to say absolutely no conditions, this can be done. But he doesn't know these people and he doesn't want to know them. And he doesn't, you know what, he's shown us he doesn't need to. If he's moving yeah. on and we're a stepping stone, he's done with us and he's out there on the street with the people sending the roses. Well, and I think he's, he's failing to take note of the time that we are in. So he's, he's ignoring the change in the Supreme Court and, and the risk, the urgent risk that that puts all of us in, in the moment. He's ignoring the fact that the laws that we have are seriously out of date. They do, don't match the times at all. And he is just showing that he has no compassion whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Yep, you're right. And when, when someone shows who they are, believe them the first time. Mm -hmm. Right. So this week uh, for listeners, in addition to the calls, the emails, we're also going to have some terrific other guests on the podcast this week. We're going to be talking to a lawyer who goes with teens to court, and that will be a very helpful one. And we'll be speaking with some of our state legislators who have learned a lot in this process and have been listening. So thank you all today for gathering, and we will get this done. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for making the time this afternoon. We thank need you. A lot of voices. Thank you. Thank you.